Hi, I'm Kim. And I'm Christina. And this is Scotland's Secret Space Race. Welcome back, Christina. Thank you for having me back. You promised you would, and here I am. Here you are. We can't keep a good woman down. And Murray was actually <laughs> grudgingly in agreement that you would be better at this than he would. So we don't even we haven't even upset anyone. This is great. Aww. Aww. Well, when we're talking about spaceports, you're the woman in the know. So could you give the listener who may not be aware that we are about to launch from Scotland what is going on? I can. I can. So it's all going, all happening up here in Scotland. We've got amazing folks working on spaceports. So the, the folks you'll be hearing from today is colleagues from Sutherland Spaceport or Sutherland Space Hub, I believe they're called, Prestwick Airspace, yep. Shetland Space Centre and Spaceport One. So there you go. If you didn't know that Scotland would soon be launching satellites, we're not just doing it from one place, we're doing it from four. But they're all slightly different, aren't they? And as far as I understand it, Prestwick is the only one with horizontal launch. Is that correct? That That is the thing. Horizontal space launch from Glasgow is their uh, main aim and they are doing an amazing job in engaging everyone and finding out how to how to best approach this which is which is very interesting yeah and we'll have mick on shortly to explain what horizontal launch actually means mm. then we have sutherland which is the is it fair to say the main spaceport would we say uh, see I, I would say the one that has gone the furthest to date given that they've had lots of really great permissions and they are now waiting for the uk government sign off so they've gotten the most permissions to start building but i'm not sure not sure okay. The main. I think they. I think everyone's okay. in it. Uh, probably about equally. I would say. I mean. Okay. It's a space race, right? That's so good. we'll see who gets there first. It's a secret space race, a but secret we're telling space secrets. Race. So we. <laughs> so Sutherland's spaceport is way up in the north of Scotland, almost Hi. on the North Sea. A lovely spot which they are working hard to protect as well as use for launch capability. Then we have a potential launch site in Shetland. What's going on in Shetland? Ah, the Shetland Space Centre. Yes, uh, a beautiful place on the top part of Shetland. I've actually personally been there, and it's just. It's just wonderful. It's it's huge, and there's there's a lot of uh, room to build the spaceport, and and they are also uh, getting lots of interest and investment from folks, and uh, and building up the capabilities there, and and um, very curious to see how they're going to progress with their plans. And then the final one that we're going to talk about today is in Uist, and that's where Aye. they're going to be launching sounding rockets, as far as I know. Hi, yes, Spaceport One um, in in North Uist, who are, I didn't actually know that they are uh, primarily looking at sounding rockets until we did that interview together, which was very eye-opening for me. Mm. I, I don't know if you found that speaking to, to all these all these folks, everyone's just so so open and nice and excited about what they're doing. It just makes you, makes you feel great being a part of the development, you know? Absolutely. You can't fail to be inspired by the potential for us to actually be launching from Scottish soil. You've been working quite closely with a number of them as well in your capacity as business development at Edinburgh University. So what are the links with the university? Aha. Yes, we have. Uh, so I've actually had just had a conversation with someone who's doing some research on this to say that we, as University of Edinburgh, are happy and keen to work with all of the spaceports. And at the moment, we have had the closest links with Spaceport One and Shetland the space center 
that's not to say we haven't contributed to Presswick's uh, development plans as well and spoken to Sutherland too. Uh, Spaceport OneWise, we were looking at their awesome land that they have and about what we can do in terms of conserving it and supporting the kind of the safe launch part. So we haven't we haven't quite got to a point of having specific projects starting, but we are having those conversations, which is super exciting. Um, and then the Shetland Space Centre team and I have been speaking for um, for about a year now, actually. I went there in October last year uh, and we were again having multiple conversations around the, the the kind of the infrastructure of the building and future projects but one of the interesting parts of this is that all of our conversations are in the future tense so it's like oh this is going to be really good in the future this is going to be really good in the future so a lot of what we're doing is kind of setting <laughs> the scene for what's going to be coming our way uh, in the in the kind of coming months as the uh, spaceports develop yeah and actually it's not even that far away i mean we're talking in two I... or three years aren't we oh yeah oh yeah i think i mean if, if things go well and we get everything moving it could be as quickly as kind of 18 months yep as far as i understand it we're just certainly with sutherland they've now got local planning permission it's now gone to the scottish government for review which is a standard procedure and then the uk government has to sign off the secondary legislation that will support the space act that was signed a couple of years ago to allow for a regulator to be created who will then grant the licenses for the launches so we're we're quite far down the line Aye, some some final touches to get us to get us to start the work. So this is so exciting. So enough from us, Christina. I think we need to start um, chatting to the folks themselves at the spaceports. I thought we would start with Sutherland. Do you know it's Captain Kirk at Sutherland, <laughs> and I love this because yes. he works for Highland Island Enterprise. So we have Captain <laughs> Kirk of the Enterprise speaking to us <laughs> for the very first interview about the spaceports. Here's Roy Kirk. So what we've done, as you said, we're delighted on the 26th of June. We had a unanimous support of the local councillors in uh, looking at the planning consent. That was fantastic. So Scottish government is now reviewing that application. We expected that. We think that's quite normal. What we're doing is novel. It's you know first anywhere in Europe that we've been looking at orbital spaceports. So uh, Scottish government looking at. We hope to hear from Scottish government within 28 days. And if they say, as we hope they will, please continue to proceed, we're making an application to the Scottish Land Court. Uh, and that's really about change of use. So Space Hub Sutherland is based on crofting land. We've had a great cooperation and work with the landowners who are Melness Crofters Estates. Uh, but we now take it to Scottish Land Court to get permission to use it um, for the spaceport facility. The Land Court would then probably have a hearing, and at the hearing they would uh, listen to evidence from all parties concerned and then make their ruling, and then they would issue a written ruling, and hopefully that would allow us to uh, go forward in terms of uh, starting to build. How is the legislation at the moment? Because we had Ivan McKee on the podcast. What are the sort of issues there, would you say, or what's supporting you? So uh, I, I have to say, I think Ivan has been a tremendous advocate for the industry, not just Sutherland. He's been tremendously helpful, but many other locations. He's just been a real advocate to help this industry develop in Scotland. The UK uh, has reserved powers on space law. 
So the UK Space Agency, along with the Civil Aviation Authority and Department for Transport, are bringing forward secondary legislation. They already have, uh, two years ago, the uh, Space Industry Act that was passed by Westminster. So they are bringing, I think, imminently forward uh, draft legislation which will go out to public consultation, and we and others, I'm sure, will be delighted to have a really good look at that and see what it means. Um, they'll then pass that in front of Westminster, and once Westminster hopefully looks at it and hopefully agrees, um, it'll be in the form of what they call a statutory instrument, and they'll then be able to set up the regulator, so there currently isn't a regulator for space flight, and we will then be able to, as, as will others, will be able to apply for licenses for the spaceport, for the range, and for the launchers, uh, will all have to obtain licenses before we can legitimately launch uh, the satellites. Assuming it all goes your way, when do you think you might launch? We're hopeful that you would see the first launch in Sutherland happening around, uh, we say, early 2020s, but I think and I'm hopeful that, that could be in 2022. Wow, that's soon. In a, in, a, in a couple of years, absolutely. Gosh, how yeah. exciting. And what kinds yeah. of launchers and satellites are you going to be sending up there? Vertical launch. There are other places like Presswick and Cornwall doing horizontal launch. That's fabulous. Mm. But we are looking at vertical launch. So it's the traditional uh, launch uh, of something that's pointing into the sky and ignites and it goes up to about 500 kilometers. Mm -hmm. It starts obviously at zero miles an hour and it, and it has to travel something in the region about 27,000 kilometers an hour. And that's so when it actually enters, when it inserts into orbit, it obviously hangs up there at about 500 kilometers. Mm. So the, the, the payloads, the uh, satellites themselves, are mainly small satellites, we think, in the region of up to about, uh, you know, 200 kilograms, 300 kilograms. And what you find, I mean, we're really excited not only about a number of different payloads that are already booked to launch from Sutherland through one of our partners called Orbex. Uh, but, you know, we do hope companies like, you know, Spire satellites that have been out there, AAC, uh, you know, so there's a number of Scottish companies we believe and would love to see them benefit from having an affordable launch facility in the same country as them. They, they currently have to go to either America or Russia or so they have to go well out the country and we would love them to be launching from Scotland. That would be wonderful if we had the full end to end capacity, wouldn't it? Absolutely correct, yes. Gosh, who'd have thought, right? Well, yeah, it's one of these great things. So when I remembered getting involved in this five years ago and when I was raising the opportunity at that time, I think people thought we were a little bit crazy. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, it probably didn't help that uh, my name's Roy Kirk. And of course, I, I, I used to be, you're going to love this one, Kim, I used to be a captain in the Territorial <laughs> Army. And of course, the organisation I work for is Enterprise. Oh my goodness, um, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. But the great thing about this, as well as uh, that kind of a neat trick of fate is is actually it makes great commercial and scientific sense uh, and that really is the thing that carries the project through. Roy Kirk there, the project director from Highlands and Islands Enterprise for Sutherland Spaceport and now we're going to move on to Prestwick. You know Mick quite well don't I you? 
I, we've been working together on yeah. the Scottish Space Leadership Council at the Trajectory and Range Workshops. So, um, yeah, he's been part of the working group and so have I. And Presswick sounds exciting because they obviously are a working airport, uh, which I have flown from many times. So here's Mick from Prestwick explaining the difference between horizontal and vertical launch. Presswick is, is affectionately known as a, a horizontal launch um, site or capability. So I, I tend to use um, the term air launch as opposed to horizontal. It's it's much the same. Basically, we, we don't we don't fire rockets uh, vertically. So we have a platform, a carrier aircraft. So our our launch vehicle will be encapsulated within the fuselage um, of of that aircraft. So it will take off um, from Presswick as a as a conventional aircraft. And it will then reach altitude. It will get to a safe drop zone. And at that point in time, we then drop the launch vehicle. Then it ignites and then it makes its way uh, to orbit from there. And one of the things that we're doing at the moment is looking at, well, what, what will that drop zone look like? How do we instrument the drop zone? How do we make sure that we conduct those activities safely? And we understand the characteristics of the launch vehicle and, and how it's how it's behaving to ensure that we insert it um, into orbit and, and do that um, in, in a safe way. So so that that is the the first leg of the stool, if you like, for mm-hmm. for, for Presswick. We have a an eighty million pound budget, and that's part of the Ayrshire Growth Deal. It's not just to build a spaceport. The spaceport will be the catalyst um, for Presswick, but it's very much about the economic impact and benefit to to Ayrshire specifically, but to the wider Scottish economy. We are looking at creating 4,000 new jobs within within that space, within that period. So as part of that, we're looking at road infrastructure, we're looking at building a commercial um, workspace. But from a, a technical perspective, in addition to the spaceport itself, we're looking at a an innovation centre, we're looking at a national flight uh, test centre that will be complementary to what we're doing at the spaceport. So that will allow us to do work with academia on on research and development, on test and evaluation, um, perhaps human physiology, but I'll come on to that um, in a second. But it's a range of different supporting activities um, that will support those those space activities, but not necessarily what we do in space, but enabling those those missions to to take place also in a safe way. In addition to the the horizontal launch or, or air launch, we're also exploring um, what next. So what else could we do that would really put Scotland, the UK and and Presswick specifically on the map, but on the map on on the global stage. So we're talking to a number of different organizations at the moment. Um, we are we are nearing a, a formalization of some of those relationships in terms of putting that memorandum of understanding in place. Um, mm-hmm. So one of the organizations we're talking to at the moment, um, we're looking at the possibility of, of human space flight. Um, wow. That is still quite fragile at the moment, so it could turn a ball of chalk very quickly. So as we start to look at the the concept and we look at the feasibility, there might be good reasons why you can't do it um, from Presswick. But where we are at the moment, we're looking at the ability to to launch um, a vehicle from from Presswick, which would then return to Presswick after it had undertaken its mission. What that will then allow is the launch of of larger size satellites. It will allow a capability to dock within a national space station, 
and, and also enable um, the ability to manufacture in space. So there's a, a burgeoning space manufacturing industry. So there's certain um, advantages of manufacturing within a microgravity environment. So things like 3D printing of, of human organs. So the fact that, you know, if you try to do that within a kind of Earth's gravity, it, it can work against you. So certain structures you have to build in when you 3D print your human organs that you don't have to do in a in, in that microgravity environment. And likewise, there's other things such as um, fiber optic cable. There's certain advantages of manufacturing within a, a microgravity environment that gives much greater performance than the equivalent of what you would manufacture on Earth. So again, we are at quite an early stage of that. We've done some early analysis. We've looked at the trajectories and that they are they are favourable. Um, and I think there's certain advantages, uh, not just from a trajectory perspective, but the fact that we've got a, a very well-established aerospace hub at Presswick, that I think there's certain uh, attraction um, that the organisation are particularly interested in, in addition to the trajectory itself. But again, it's still early stage, um, but we are looking at entering into that, that early stage conceptual study. The, the next thing we're looking at is hypersonic um, suborbital flights. We're in um, a discussion with another organization, um, and what we're looking at is what we'll call point A to A or point A to B hypersonic um, suborbital flights. We reckon the first operational flight will be somewhere between 2035 and in 2040, if it happens at all. So again, very early stage, very conceptual. But what that will then allow is the ability to fly from Presswick hypersonic to other places in the world very quickly. Um, mm. So there's there's other um, parts of the world that are taking a, a keen interest um, in this particular subject. So we've got a, a memorandum of understanding in place with, with Houston Spaceport already. Excellent. There is possibility of a, another spaceport that will that potentially will come on board. And again, this is technology that will that, that is in development. It, it will happen. It will happen at some point in time. And as much as you know, taking a conventional aircraft and going to you know a for your holidays in the summer, you know, a hundred years ago, that was seen as you know it's something that either could not happen or if it ever were happening, you'd have to have very deep pockets to do it. And, and there will come a point in time, and maybe I won't see it, but maybe my grandchildren or my great-grandchildren will see it, where it will become something that's perhaps, you know, very, very commonplace. And the third spaceport we're going to speak to today is Shetland. You've had the pleasure of visiting, Christina, and they're, they sound like great fun up there. Ah, they are. They are absolutely lovely up there. And, and where they are is very lovely. It's just, it's just a fantastic, fantastic scene. Uh, to be visiting, to seeing, and I'm, I'm sure the yeah, I'm sure the team are very proud of what they've achieved so far, and and will share of, of what their plans are and what they what they're hoping to do. Here's Yvette and Scott from Shetland. What we're really looking to do here is to create a sustainable business that can last thirty to forty years, that will leave a cultural a technological and an employment legacy to the island of Unst and Shetland and also the wider uh, part of Scotland. So we're going to do that by creating a spaceport. Now that is clearly brand new here in the United Kingdom. So how do we go about that? Um, we looked on a global scale to try and work out how it's been done elsewhere. And a good example is that in the States or in New Zealand. So 
what lessons can we learn from these people? So try and uh, identify best practice, but equally put it into a UK Scottish perspective. So what do we need to do? Well, first off, you know, just in pure planning, it's effectively you know, we've got a development, so we need to do an environmental impact assessment. Yes, there are differences in there's rocket noise, so we need to make sure that we do that properly and we give all the facts to the local population and to the uh, planning officers. But we also need to do an airspace change, so we do that with the Civil Aviation Authority. We also need to take into account maritime, so we do what's called a navigation risk assessment, which will identify uh, any risks to shipping, etc. Finally, we need to get a license. The licensing authority we expect to be the UK Space Agency here in the UK, and that's something we all need to sort of work through. We're aiming to get the planning application in in October this year, like start development uh, in summer of next year, and to have our first launch October, November 21. And there are several groups that are also intending to stand up spaceports. So, hey, man, what do you think is going to make Shetland Space Center different from other spaceports? Uh, you're quite right. It's incredibly exciting. And we do believe we've got a USP here in uh, Shetland. The first thing I'd say is, as we got, get into this space industry, the space industry is driven by facts, physics and geography. You can't get away with just opinions. It is pure fact. The sector report, which was written for the uh, UK Space Agency and part authored by Highland Science Enterprise, looked at where was the best place in North Scotland for a vertical launch spaceport. And they identified that what the small satellite operators and small rocket operators were looking for was cost-effective access to polar orbits. These are the orbits that the commercial satellites are particularly interested in. And they identified Saxaboard here in UNS as the best location because we have what are called direct trajectories to those orbits. So much like when you fly over the Atlantic, they fly great circle route which is the most direct way that saves money in fuel, in CO2, etc. So it's very much the geography. The other things are the huge amount of support we have from the local population up here. UNS has always been very welcoming to outsiders. It's had a very successful uh, airport here for a number of years, and it also had the RAF up here. Further in Shetland, Shetland's a really get-up-and-go place. Shetland Island Council have been really uh, supportive to us. So we very much think the geography, for the physics, but also the, the local people. But we're trying to do a diverse business model here, and we're trying to spread out into other parts of space. And I know you lead on this in particular for us, on ground stations. Why don't you tell me why we're so well located for ground stations and space satellite communication? Yeah, sure, Scott. So listen, as we continue to democratize space and populate space with more satellites and constellations, this only means that more ground station opportunities uh, are out there for all of us in the ground segmentation business. So Shetland Space Center is, is really pleased to offer ground services probably mid-next year. So everybody stay tuned to this channel. Our location is part of our value proposition. We will be co-located to launch We'll have good visibility of satellites, high frequency of past satellites, particularly in our northern location, and ultimately the contact performance and duration 
coupled with our world-class connectivity, storage, and process capacity, will be all of our diversified spaceport portfolio. Unston Shetland is just really well located for the new space economy. Yeah, and it's an amazing place to live. And the final spaceport that we're going to visit on our whistle stop tour of rockets in Scotland is Eust. And you've been working quite closely with them, haven't you, Christina? We have indeed, yes. Me and Mark um, have actually, um, we became became entangled uh, via my colleagues in the Sprint Network um, when they introduced us together. And we've been working together ever since, which has been probably probably about a year now, actually. So it's been a while. You have the best job. I know. I know. Don't I? I just love it. It's just, honestly, just the best thing ever. So exciting. And see in a couple of years time when all these spaceports are operating, you're going to be a very busy lady. Oh, I know. I know. I don't know how you're going to fit it all in. You're already one of the busiest people I've ever met in my whole life. <laughs> it's okay. I'll get an assistant. It's fine. Oh, that's a good plan. Yeah. Christina right? Mark too. Well, enough. <laughs> Let's hear what's going on. Let's hear what's going on in Eust. Well, I, I think the first thing uh, that we really uh, need to do, and I, I describe this as sort of having a deep understanding of the site, that that is the first component of it, because we have taken on a 678-acre site, which is essentially um, given to wildlife. And I'm extremely keen that we not only preserve uh, the benefits of the site for the ecology, uh, for ecology and, and uh, ecosystem and wildlife, but actually that we improve it. Or almost irrespective of where you start, the first point is to have a really, really good understanding. So working with the, the university, and it's quite early days, so, just to, to, so a lot of this is in future tense, but working with the university, we're looking at the moment at, at ways of uh, collaborating around completely understanding the site. And so what are the, the plans for the, the spaceport itself? Well, the immediate plan is to put in place some very modest infrastructure to undertake what we call Saudi rockets, test rockets. So uh, this is uh, a very small pad, really quite uh, minor upgrades to the track uh, on the site. needs a little bit of work to it to make it uh, shore it up a bit. And the purpose of this is that we can get into doing uh, test both uh, sort of test launches and sandy rocket launches in the, I mean, ideally, hopefully within the next year, we'll commence this activity. Again, that there are a number of benefits of doing this. One is that it allows us from a very sort of hard commercial perspective, it allows us to get into understanding uh, the business of rocket launch um, from the point of view of looking ahead to the future. And I think, uh, and as Christina knows, she's been involved with a series of meetings recently with uh, with the other spaceports and our, our aspiration is, our ambition is that we share this activity so that the learning that we develop from our Sandy rocket work is actually beneficial for everybody um, across uh, across Scotland. The, and the other elements I was I would bring to the party is that the it, it feeds the, uh, what we believe is a fairly significant market for academic um, uh, launch work um in uh, sort of microgravity experimentation and that sort of thing 
Yeah, I was just going to say that uh, it, one of the things that I think is fantastic about the spaceports in Scotland is that actually you all work really, really well together. So having been part of the conversation with the Shetland, um, Shetland Space Centre and Sutherland and as part of the Scottish Space Leadership Council, just hearing everyone talk kind of very openly and supporting each other is just brilliant. I think that's probably one of the things that's going to make Scotland get into space quicker because people are willing to work together. And I think I remember, Mark, you were saying at the one of the workshops that we ran in the last couple of weeks on trajectory and range about the fact that people can just talk to each other without having to disclose any sensitivities. You can just have a chat and say, okay, right, like this is how we're going to do things together. I think that's that's one of the many things that adds the value in the space sector in Scotland because um, I'm not sure if it's the same everywhere else. Yeah, that surprised me actually, speaking to the other spaceports, how keen you are all to work together given that at some point you will all be in competition. So, Mark, how would you say Spaceport One is going to carve out its niche? We have a number of uh, unique, uh, well, we'd like to believe unique, certainly from the UK perspective, capabilities, which, which again, I kind of look at this as contributing to the Scottish uniqueness rather than the Western Isles uniqueness or the Spaceport One uniqueness. But for instance, uh, we can launch south, uh, which is which is difficult for the other vertical launch sites to to do. We also have the incredible benefit of having the MOD uh, kinetic range facility uh, just a few kilometres to the south. So quite a lot of our uh, tracking requirements, particularly for sounding rockets, are a lot of our tracking requirements. The capability is already there; it already exists. Um, and so from the point of view of Spaceport One and Scotland and sounding rocket launches um, at this moment in time, that's infrastructure we don't need to build. And that therefore contributes to the fact that we, uh, you know, if we don't need to build it, we don't need to repay the investors who would buy it, uh, which means we can, it contributes to low cost launch. And that, and ultimately that's that's what this is about. The market is very fickle. People will go where it's cheapest. We've already seen that. But we, we have a number of companies at various stages of sort of contractual negotiation at the moment for Sony rocket launches. But we have quite a healthy pipeline. And this is a pipeline that, you know, effectively starts and continues from 2021. So it's, uh, it's a really good news story. There is a regulatory framework for undertaking uh, Sony rocket launches. And I'm not talking about very small rockets here. I'm talking about some, some fairly capable systems. They're not physically large, but they're, what they're able to do in trajectory terms is quite significant. The We've worked very close with the regulator. In this case, it's the Civil Aviation Authority, and they have been absolutely fantastic. That's great to hear. So in layman's terms, what kinds of launches are we talking about from Spaceport One? We're talking about, so the regulatory approach is that they look at each launch in turn. So, so there isn't a sort of blanket approval. But a typical launch will be a rocket that's about six meters tall and has the capability to get to in the region of 100 and 130 kilometers in altitude. It then undertakes a sort of parabolic flight path, which is the microgravity part of the flight, uh, where um, people like to do experimentation and then drops back to, uh, to in this case, a bit of sea. Wow, four spaceports in Scotland. Who'd have thought? So hopefully people can start to get excited about this because in a couple of years, Scotland's going to be launching satellites and rockets. It's very cool. And it's not the only cool thing you're working on right now, Christina. What else is going on? 
Yes, uh, well, we've been, the spaceports are very exciting, of course, uh, but we've also just won a competition uh, to create a, an environmental stress index map with our colleagues in the UN Environmental Programme and uh, the Google Earth Engine. So uh, hopefully some of the spaceports will be launching, will be launching rockets and satellites that can help us contribute to that positively in the future as well. So setting up the future for other folks as it comes around. That's amazing. Gosh, there is so much going on at Edinburgh University. I don't know how. How do you manage to sleep? You just work constantly, <laughs> don't you? Sleep? No, so I'm, I'm not familiar with that term. What is that? Is that new? Neither do I. I mean, I work and I have children and sometimes I just pass out for when it gets dark and then I get up yeah. and do it all over again. I think that's what sleep is. That's it. That's it. Yeah. I've heard about this. Yeah. Oh, it's been fun having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming back on. Thank you for having me. Next week, Christina, Murray is back but we have got a very exciting guest. You know what's happening, but no one else does. What, what clues What clues could you give people? Well, it's, it's someone who might be known as the father of the space race, maybe even, potentially. I think you've let the cat out the bag, my love. I think everyone's <laughs> going to pick it up from that. Okay, about... It is someone who is a very prominent figure in the Scottish space race, uh, secret or otherwise. And I'm sure the listeners will be very excited to hear from this person next week. Stop there before you give it away, please. I'm not going to say anymore. I'm just going to be quiet now. Okay. And you'll be listening, hopefully, for our season finale next week. Of course. Top fan of yours. <laughs> you are like our number one sharer on social media. So thank you for that. Thank you for your yeah. unending support <laughs> and for opening up your contacts book. You've quite often you've hooked us up with uh, various people during the, during the series. So thank you for that. And thank you for joining me today. What's your Twitter handle if people want to drop you a line? It's K-R-I-0-S-I-S, rather catchingly. Creosis on Twitter. And I am at Kim McAllister if you want to drop me a line as well. And Murray will still answer, even though he's having a bit of a skyvy week. Murray B. <laughs> Collins on Twitter. Thank you for listening. Thank you.